the Lord put my heart to say something, and that is, Ridgecrest, I speak Jesus over you. The name of Jesus. <clears throat> There's power in the name of Jesus. And the Jesus that we know and the Jesus that we worship is coming back. And he's coming back for us. And that's not bad stuff. That's good stuff. And I want to talk to you about that more today in this series that, well, we've been in. Uh, we took a break while we did the Faith Chronicles. Today I want to get back to our last day series. I have a few more messages. I have some messages. Uh, well, I have a couple of series that while I was away for a couple of weeks that I worked on, and those will follow this series, but I want to finish up. Uh, I've had a number of people say, are you, you are going to finish the last day series. You are going to finish it, and the answer is yes. And uh, today I want to talk to you about five things you need to know about the return of, of Christ. Uh, there's an inscription in the main reading room in the dome area of the Library of Congress. If you go in there, most people don't know it, and most people haven't uh, read it, but it says this, one God, one law, one element, and one far-off divine event toward which the whole of creation moves. It's a quote from Alfred uh, Lloyd Tennyson. And if you ask one of the guides who knows, what, what is that inscription talking about there? You know what it's talking about? A guide will tell you it is talking about the return of Jesus Christ. Right there in the reading room, etched uh, in the, the dome area. Why is that? You see, when that dome was erected, God-fearing leaders ordered that the inscription be etched in that dome at the seat of our government. Because, you see, they understood that the return of Christ should influence not just how we live in this present age, it should, but they understood it shouldn't just affect how we live, it should affect how we govern as well as how we live. You know, the second coming is the most talked about subject in all of the Scripture. Uh, the new birth is mentioned nine times. Baptism is mentioned 20 times, and wasn't that great, you know? Baptism, again, we've been fortunate during this time. We've been able to baptize a number of people, and you may be here and say, I need to be baptized, and we'll take care of that. We're social distancing the water, and so making sure it's fresh every week, and uh, so maybe you need to be baptized. We'd love to do that. The word repentance or the idea of repentance is mentioned 70 times in Scripture. Okay, you got that? New birth nine times, baptism 20 times, repentance 70 times. But the second coming, the return of Christ, is mentioned over 300 times uh, in the Scripture. And since it's so, we ought to know a lot about it, right? We ought, to, we ought to know as much as we can about that event. Because most people feel like we are rapidly moving toward the end of the age. And maybe you do in, in this place. Certainly, uh, the events of the last several months have shown us how quickly things can change. Hello? Um, just a few years ago, the Barner Research Group, a leading polling group of uh, Christian idea and Christian belief and opinion around the globe, did a survey of Americans, and they asked the question, do you believe we're living in the, the last days? Four out of ten Americans, and these aren't just evangelical Christians, just four out of ten Americans said something's going on that's ushering, going to usher in the end of the age. Uh, 77% of evangelical Christians said, yeah, I believe we're living in the last time, or what the Bible calls the end of the age. And in our passage today, uh, Paul talks about 
uh, some things as it relates to the return of Christ that I want you to see. So if you're physically able to do so, I invite you to stand with me as we read our text beginning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Follow along. It says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us insight and understanding and warning, Father, about the return so that we can be ready. I pray that you'll take your word this morning, Father, that you will change and challenge our hearts. Father, you will transform us in a fresh way and renew our walk with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, this passage is one of, of a number that are found in both the Old and the New Testaments that refer to what's known as the day of the Lord. And the, the statement points to the events of the end of the age, the end of time, or the return of Christ. Uh, it, when you see that phrase, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, it points to the, the, the ultimate culmination of all things. Now, the Old Testament prof, uh, prophets used it a number of times, uh, and they used it as a warning to Israel and to other nations as well, but it was a, a warning to say, look, if something doesn't change, if you don't repent or if you don't turn or if you don't turn back to God, then the wrath of God is going to at some point in time uh, fall upon you. That's how the Old Testament prophets typically used it, whether it was an immediate kind of prophecy for their need to repent or turn back to God, or whether it was for the ultimate culmination that we will know as a return of Christ and the great day of, of the Lord. In fact, Isaiah put it this way, he said, well, for the day of the Lord is near as destruction from the Almighty, and it will come. Now, the New Testament writers used it in a similar way, that is the phrase, the day of the Lord, but they also kind of expanded on it with a special emphasis that related to the second coming of Christ, as our passage here points, and also other passages like 2 Peter, where, where Peter writes and says, we are looking forward and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by, by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. So Peter uses it to say it is that, uh, that final ending as well. So we see it in both the Old and the New Testament as expressions of the judgment of God that will accompany the return of Christ, all right? Uh, at, uh, in the middle of World War II, Douglas MacArthur, who was based out of the Philippines, uh, uh, had to abandon the Filipino people and the island of the Philippines. They were overrun and being overrun by uh, the Japanese. And before he left the island, he turned back to the Filipino people. It's a famous phrase he makes in history, and he says, I will return. 
you know, um, and, uh, and, and then he got in the boat, he left, and the Filipino people thought, yeah, right, uh, he's abandoned us to the enemy. But here's what goes on to happen. In, on October 20th, 1944, toward the end of the war, MacArthur stepped off the boat back onto the shores of the Philippines, and this is what he said when he returned. He said, this is a voice of freedom. People of the Philippines, I have returned. By the grace of Almighty God, our forces stand again on Philippine soil. The hour of your redemption is here. Rally to me. Well, in a similar way, and more dramatic, really, the day is coming when Jesus Christ will step out of heaven. He's going to return to the shores of earth to claim those who know him and to follow with his wrath, the wrath of his mighty hand upon those who do not. He said, I'm going to come back. Remember when he was taken up into heaven, the, the angels who stood by said to the followers of God, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who's been taken up from you will return in like manner. He said, I'm leaving for now, but I will return. And when I return, it is going to be the ultimate day of redemption for those who are mine and the ultimate day of wrath for those who aren't. We all know these are unprecedented days that we are living in. Uh, those of, uh, uh, that I've talked to, many young and old, have never seen anything like the, the uncertainty that we are living in. And for many, it is a fearful time. And for those who do not know God, I can understand why it would be a fearful time. Listen how Jesus described the days before his return. This is Jesus. He said, and there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves and people, listen to this, fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. <clears throat> now when these things begin to take place, Jesus says, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Are we living in the last days? Well, that's what this series is all about. And by the way, I began this series long before COVID showed up. But listen, it's the question everybody wants to know. In one sense, the answer is definitely we are living in the last days. I've told you in this series that the last days actually begin when? When Jesus was taken up. That ushered in the beginning of the last days. But the fact is, we don't know when they will finally play out, but Jesus gave us a lot of indication so that we could be ready. Paul gives us the same kind of information to warn us in advance so we can be prepared because of the return of Jesus Christ. I don't know if it'll be a year, a week, a day. I don't know if it'll be 10 years, 50 years, 100 years. I don't know, but I can tell you this, we are much closer to his return than we were when Paul wrote these words 2,000 years ago and when Jesus told and taught his disciples that he was going to go and then he was going to return. So in one sense, we are definitely living in the last days. When and how that concludes, we don't know. And because we don't know, that's why we must always be prepared. And that's what I want to talk to you about uh, in this uh, message, so that we don't live in fear, that we walk by faith in anticipation of it. Listen, the return of Christ is a good thing. We have a tendency sometimes when we talk about the return of Christ, uh, we, because there's so many things uh, associated with the return of Christ, we see it only as doomsday. But I want you to know, while there's some things, if you're not a part of the kingdom of God, you ought to be, you ought to be terrified by. 
But if you are, you ought to look at it and say, this is our hope. This is, this is good. This isn't bad. This is our, co- uh, our hope because of what is coming uh, at the return of Christ. So today I want to give you five things that I believe every person needs to know about the return of Christ. Are you ready? Number one, they need to know that it will be a surprising event. It's very clear. Keep your Bible open. In verse 2, he tells us that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now Paul is speaking of the nature and the timing of Christ's return. And while it will be a surprising event... We cannot and never will be able to say we were not forewarned. Hello? Because remember, the Scripture talks about this event over 300 times. So we can't say, well, Jesus, I didn't know uh, because we've been forewarned. And by the way, although Jesus' return will be surprising, here's something else that's good news. It doesn't mean we can't be ready. It is going to be a surprising event, but we can still be ready. Dr. Mark Hitchcock a prophecy uh, author and professor has said this, one would be very, a person would be very hard-pressed to find another time in history when there was more at stake or when the major prophetic sign points, uh, posts were lined up po- pointing to the end. You understand what he's saying? He said, you can't go back in history and find a time where the, sign po- the prophetic signposts have lined up better than they have right now. Jesus told us, that there would be birth pangs uh, that would come. And these signs would be prior to his return so that his followers could be prepared. Now, I've talked about some of those things already in previous messages in this series. And you can go back. I did a couple of messages specifically on the birth pangs. But I, you, you need, because it's been a while, let me just remind you of some of those without going into deep, deep detail. Because Jesus said, these are the things you need to know that you will see around you in ever-increasing manner as it gets closer to his return. The For example, he talked about spiritual deception, leaders that are spiritually deceptive. I'm going to do a message on uh, the kinds of things that that we need to be alert to. There are, and by the way, this comes from the pulpits. This stuff is coming out of the pulpits. And that's why it's so important, because it will lead to a great, what the Bible calls a great apostasy, a falling away of those who have claimed to be followers of Christ. So it's very important we need to under, understand that. There will be deceptive, in fact, Paul even said, 2 Timothy he said, for the time is coming, listen, when people will not endure sound teaching. Don't give us sound teaching. You know, it's too strong. We, we don't want it. But instead, they will have itching ears and will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I want to tell you, we're already there. We're already there. And then he talked about wars and rumors of war. The Wall Street Journal, I have an article I clipped from them, says the West's attempt to prevent the spread of nuclear weapons has failed. And a dangerous new era of nuclear proliferation has begun. This past year, we've been hearing growing rumors of coming war with China or Iran. We're also hearing about continual possibilities of war between Middle Eastern nations, particularly between Israel and her surrounding enemies. Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister in Israel, said, it is only a matter of time before nuclear weapons are turned inward, he says, by the way, against the United States. And then he says, the reason why is the leader of the West... Uh, and the country responsible uh, 
which is the U.S., he says, for enabling Israel to exist is the U.S. and militant Muslims uh, uh, will not stand for it. And so that's one of the reasons America is hated to the militant uh, Muslim community. Listen to this, wars and rumors of war. Just uh, a week or so ago, July 26, President of Russia, uh, Vladimir Putin, said this. He said, the Russian Navy would now be armed with hypersonic nuclear strike weapons and underwater nuclear drones. That will be standard on their uh, their nuclear uh, submarines, and he said such weapons are difficult for the U.S. to track or intercept, and that means respond to. So we've heard about wars and rumors of war. Then famines. Jesus talked about that being a birth pang. There'll be, be famines uh, right now. We don't even, listen, we don't, in America, we don't hear about the magnitude of the famines that are going on uh, across the world. But did you know every night, one billion people, one billion people go to bed hungry, go to sleep hungry. And then there are earthquakes. Jesus talked about the earthquakes, according to the United States Geological Society, in a recent week, in a recent week, there were nine significant earthquakes across the globe. And just two weeks ago, there was a 7.8 magnitude quake that shook Alaska. And listen to this, just this morning, we received information from, uh, many of you rem uh, remember Chris and Churston Lifto, uh, who we commissioned, if you recall, uh, recently. They are now serving as missionaries based out of North Carolina. And just this morning, Chris said they had an earthquake in North Carolina, of all places, 5.1 magnitude. He said it shook their whole house. And then, listen, the news reported that it was felt all the way down to Childersburg, Alabama. That happened this morning, and the U.S. Geological Society says the number of earthquakes occurring now are unprecedented in our history. We've never had this many uh, happening. Volcanic uh, activity on an unprecedented level. So those sorts of things, Jesus calls these birth pangs. And then, of course, in the gospel, Jesus spoke of another birth pang. It was called pestilence in the gospel of Luke. Do you know what pestilence is? It's pandemic. It's the exact same thing. He said there are going to be pandemics in the last day. As of Thursday, when I was completing this message, according to the CDC, and it's probably increased now some, I don't know, there are now almost 19 million COVID cases worldwide and over 700,000 deaths as a result. And by the way, I, I read this past week, I read a I went back and looked at the history of pandemics worldwide, the history, as long as we've been keeping records, and it's, it's incredible, and they're a lot worse than what we're experiencing right now, a lot worse in terms of death and all those sorts of things. But guess what? The church didn't shut down. The church was the agent of ministry. It's interesting that five years ago, Dr. David Heyman, the former director of the Division of Emerging Diseases for the World Health Organization said, and I quote, the world is not becoming a safer place. It's clear that the outbreak of disease anywhere must now be perceived as a threat to all countries. Wow. That was well before what we're experiencing. You see, Jesus said that pestilence, pandemics would characterize the, uh, the last age. And then cosmological signs in the heavens been reading about some things that are going on. NASA is tracking comets and asteroids that we don't even realize. And there's one in particular that they are concerned about that they think is going to pass so close to the earth in 1927. 
I believe, it, not 1927, 2027. Uh, you say, Pastor, that's already come and gone. Yes. <laughs> so we're safe. Um, but 2027, and they're very concerned that it could actually, and it's very large, that it could actually hit the earth. And uh, that may be, it's possible. I'm not saying that's going to happen. NASA's watching it. And they're calling right now that it's on a trajectory of hopefully a near miss with the earth. But if it hits, it would do catastrophic global damage and could throw, thrust us into what we sometimes call a nuclear winter where the ash from the, the impact of this, it would be comparable to like a hundred uh, um, uh, megaton uh, nuclear devices that hit at the same time causing all kind of catastrophe global. Well, if it happens, they're tracking it. You're not hearing about it, but they're tracking it. I don't know. But the point is there are co cosmological signs in there. There's a lot of them. We hear about the, the moons and all of that sort of thing going on. And then economic science. We are entering a global economic crisis right now. Now, COVID caused it. Uh, you can argue if you want, sure. But I want to tell you something. Jesus said in the last days there will be economic uh, uh, issues. And, and by the way, we're already hearing about a serious pursuit of a global economy. It's being talked about. There's some groups that I don't have time to go into, I talked about in an earlier message, that are already pressing for a global monetary system, not where the, uh, right now, the world's monetary system is based on the American dollar. But there are those, some significant players, China and Russia, uh, who are advocating to get rid of the American dollar as the currency standard for the world and go to a one kind of global monetary system. We're also hearing a lot about things we wouldn't have heard about for 10 years ago, but the press for a cashless society. You're reading about it every day uh, if, you, if you pay attention. A cashless society where we no longer use cash. And by the way, you may have experienced going to some place and saying, uh, we don't take cash. By law, they have to take cash. Until cash is outlawed, they have to take cash. But there are many of them who say, we don't take cash. Uh, now, uh, they can just refuse your service, I guess. But, but the point is, we're hearing about a cashless system, the pursuit of that. And, and by the way, COVID is being the culprit. Well, because of COVID, we, uh, I want to tell you something. There's been an agenda to move this way for a long time. COVID just may provide the impetus to make it happen and, and, and cause prophecy again. Uh, to come into play. And by the way, I just think this. <clears throat> How can you read your Bible and read things that were written 2,000 years ago when they didn't even know what a cashless system was, but talk about it and then say, well, the Bible's not accurate? Friend, you're living and seeing the relevance of the Scripture right before your eyes. Things that Jesus said that 20 years ago we would have thought, man, eh, how are they going to make a cashless system? How? But we all understand it now, and we're hearing about it every week. The Bible also talks about increased persecution and suffering of believers. Really, for the first time uh, in America, we are now beginning to see hostility toward Christians on a, on a significant scale. And toward the church, we were seeing hostilities that were unheard of 240-plus years ago when this nation came into existence. In May, a Harvard law professor suggested that it's time, listen to this, to treat those who subscribe to Christian values like they are Nazis. 
Harvard Law Professor said, it's time for us to treat Christians like, like they're Nazis. The current cancel culture movement, I hope you don't get sucked up in that stuff. It attacks any belief that conflicts with their ideas. You see, as one writer said, if you risk bringing your Sunday values into your Monday world, you are likely to experience harassment, hostility, and possibly even lose your job because of it. That's where, that's where we've moved. And Jesus told us that in Matthew 24. He said, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Jesus said, don't be surprised, but expect that. And then, then he talked about, the Bible talks about in the last days there will be an incredible kind of moral and social depravity. 2 Timothy 3, uh, 1, and verses following that tell us uh, that the last days will be a time of unprecedented immorality. Uh, a couple of things, there are many, but a couple of things uh, jump to mind uh, as illustrations of the generational shift that is happening on moral issues. The National Opinion Research Center has been tracking for years uh, 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 through uh, uh, polls and research what is considered acceptable reasons for abortion. And in 2018, 54% of 18 to 34-year-olds answered that abortion is acceptable at any time and for any reason. Now, that, this particular uh, circumstance is growing and gaining support among young millennials and the generation above them and especially behind them, according to the National Opinion Research Center, and it is now at the highest percentage ever. Or there's the cultural reversal on same-sex marriage, on what God says about marriage. This is a cultural reversal. In 2004, 60% of Americans were opposed to same-sex marriage. Today, listen to this, 61% of Americans are in favor. Now, these are cultural shifts. They're cultural shifts. They're not biblical shifts. God's Word hasn't changed on relationships, on the value of life, or any of those things. But they represent, those are just two examples of the move toward incredible distance from the truth of God and the, the, the morality that God has laid down. They, are, they represent exactly what the Scripture says would morally characterize the last days. And so Christ, what he's doing is he gives us a heads up through all of these kind of birth pangs and all of this information so that we will not, we will not be unprepared when his return. We don't know the day, the hour. Jesus said you can't know that, but you can know the season. And so you can be prepared for that anytime surprising kind of moment. He gives us this heads up. They're clear indicators of what's going on. I read a story about a, a man who was traveling through the mountains of North Georgia and he stopped at a, um, a kind of a local joint convenience store for gas and that sort of stuff. And as he walked in to pay, he happened to notice outside the convenience store there was a, a sign with a long uh, a piece of rope just dangling from the sign. And above that piece of rope, it said, Weather Center. And so he asked the guy inside the propriety, he said, How can a rope be uh, a weather uh, a center? <laughs> he said, well, son, it's simple. He said, when the rope swings back and forth, it's windy. He said, when the rope is wet, it's raining. He said, when the rope is frozen, it's snowing. 
And he said, when the rope is gone, there's been a tornado. He said, it's that simple. I want to tell you what Jesus tells us here is that simple. And it's very clear through the birth pangs and the indicators that his return could be soon. Now, let me show you a second thing, though, that every person ought to know about the return of Christ. It's also found in verse 3. It will be a season of peace. While people are saying there's peace, there's peace and security. Now, ironically, the return of Jesus will be during this kind of uh, season of peace, in particular, listen, for Israel. Now, don't misunderstand. He's not saying there won't be any conflict or anything like that in the world. He's, what he's saying is people are going to be saying, peace, we need peace, we need security. And frankly, it's been decades since we've had so many leaders who are all advocating for the need uh, of peace and discussing peace agreements, especially as they relate to China and Iran and North Korea and, and Israel and Palestine. Back in January, just this past January, Benjamin Netanyahu affirmed President Trump's call for peace in the Middle East. He made a speech in which he, he affirmed President Trump had said, well, it's time for us to, to chart a course of peace in the Middle East. And, and Netanyahu responded to that and said, on this day, you too have charted a brilliant future, a brilliant future for Israelis, for Palestinians, and the region by presenting a realistic path to durable peace. But of course, it hasn't happened yet. Some years ago when I was in the Holy Land, when one of my tours, I, 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 we were at uh, the caves of Qumran where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And I've been there many times, and I just, there was plenty of uh, kind of free space for our folks to move around and wander and do a little sightseeing on their own at this particular site. And so because I've done it many times, I just released them to go and do what they wanted to do for a little while and told them, that, you know, at a certain point in time, we'll meet back up at our bus. And, and I went and sat down on a picnic table. And while I was sitting on the picnic table, there were two Israeli soldiers that walked up and sat down uh, with me. Now, they were probably in their early 20s. And here's what you need to know. Uh, Israel is still under a declared state of war. They have been since 1948. They never revoked their, they're under a state of war. Every person in Israel up to a certain point of age serves in the military. Uh, no matter man, woman, uh, from about, uh, I guess it is the age of 18 up, they serve until they're about 40 or so. Uh, and they have to serve so much every year, so much active duty time every year. And so these were a couple of guys, and they had their submachine guns uh, strapped across their, I guess, AK-47s or something like that. And they were strapped across, and they came in their military fatigues. They sat down uh, uh, next to me. They were waiting on a bus, a bus to take them home. Their shift for the day was over, and they were going to go home. And so we, they, they asked me, where are you from? And, and uh, so we struck up a conversation and everything. And I asked him a question. Uh, at, at that point in time, Ahmadinejad um, was uh, ruling in Iran, and he had made some, some real strong statements about, about Israel deserving to be wiped off the map and had no reason to exist and all this sort of thing. And the Palestinians and the Israelis were trying to negotiate some kind of peace accord on uh, the Gaza area and that sort of thing. And so I asked him, I said, uh, what do you guys think about the different peace accords? Because there's still a lot of tension there at that time with these different peace ideas. And here's what these two young soldier, Israeli soldiers said to me. They said, well, everybody has to bend some. And both of us, both sides, he said, we want peace. We want peace. We want peace here. I said, well, that, that, that makes sense. Everybody wants peace. They said, yeah. And then they said this, by the way, as a footnote. They said, but we think you guys, Americans, need to get out of our business. I was kind of shocked. 
I said, really? And they said, yeah, we don't need y'all weighing in about this. We can take care of it uh, on our own. We don't need y'all involved. I said, really? I said, so you want us to get out of the process, leave you guys alone? They said, absolutely. I said, does that mean we take our over a billion dollars in military aid with us when we do? And they said, oh, no, 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 we want that. I said, you want our money. You just don't want our opinion. Well, yeah. I said, it doesn't work that way. A few days later, no, I'm sorry, this was on another trip. My bus driver was a, a devout Muslim. This was, in fact, our last trip, our Ridgecrest, last Ridgecrest trip. And our uh, driver was a devout Muslim. And uh, every day at certain times when we would leave the bus, he would put his prayer mat down in the bus and face Mecca, and he would pray to Allah. And uh, he, very devoted. But he was our bus driver for the whole tour. Well, for some reason, I would, he didn't speak uh, uh, English uh, broken at best. And, but some, through, the, through my uh, guide, I had managed to communicate with him a little bit. And he told the guide, he said, I like him. Um, no. He said, I like him. Ask him if he would have lunch with me. Now, you have to understand on a tour, when you stop at a place for lunch, the tourists all have a special designated area to eat, and all these bus drivers from various tour groups, they eat in another place. And so, so I said, you tell him, I'd be happy to. And so I went with him into his area, and we sat down. The interpreter had to come and sit uh, with us, and we began to talk about various things. I thought maybe, and I kind of introduced Christ to him and, and hoped that maybe, uh, you know, I didn't get very far with that. I'll be honest. Uh, he really wasn't interested in that, but he just, uh, just wanted to have some general conversation. So I asked him, I said, hey, I said, because of your devout faith and everything, what do you think about the inflammatory statements that Mahmoud Ahmadinejad had, had made about Israel ceasing to exist. Or, or no, he said, we can't have that. He said, we can't have that. Now, that's probably because he's in Israel, and if Ahmadinejad had his way, he would have wiped uh, the Arabs and the Jews out uh, just for the sake of getting rid of Israel. But he said, we can't have that. that kind of, and this is what he said. And so I, the whole reason to, he said, we've got to have peace. Peace. Well, the Bible says... In the last days, people will be saying, peace, peace, we got to have peace, we got to have security. It's going to be talked about in the last days. It's being talked about. A third thing that you need to know about the return of Christ is that it will bring sudden destruction. Verse 3, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains. This is a warning. When Christ returns for the second time, it's going to be swift and it's going to bring with it judgment. Now listen to me. Why is this important to understand? It is important because if you are not ready when he returns, you will not have time to get ready. Do you get that? It's going to be sudden and it's going to be swift and you're not going to say, oh, um, let me get ready. You know, it's, it's not going to be like you, okay, we're going to go somewhere. You get in the car, and then you say, oh, I forgot something. Let me jump out and go get it and come back. Uh-uh. It won't be, oh, Jesus, hang on and let me get ready. That's why in Matthew 24 is a huge eschatological passage, but Matthew 25, there's a, 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 a parable of the ten virgins, those who were ready and those who were not ready. And the ones who were not ready couldn't get ready, and it is a parable of this very idea here. I've had a number of people through the years tell me that they know that they need to get ready and get their act together with God. But then, then they say this, but I'm going to eventually just, I just need more time. 
Jesus said this concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as it was in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days, listen, before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So likewise will be the coming of the Son of Man. Did you get that? They were just going through their routines. They thought, yeah, everything's okay. There are things that may be complicated, things that may be uncertain, but everything's pretty good. And then suddenly, when it happened, it happened, and they couldn't get right, and they couldn't get ready. I'll tell you what it's like. It's like playing, if you're not ready, it's like playing Russian roulette with your soul. It's said that Satan once called his demon host together, and he said, look, I want to corrupt and destroy the faith and the belief of men and women on the earth. How can I ruin their souls? And he said, I want to send one of you for the job. Which one of you will go? And one dark demon stepped up and said, I'll go. And, and Satan said, so what are you going to tell these people to, to destroy their soul? And he said, I'll tell them there's no heaven. And Satan said, that won't work. He said, because everybody believes that there's a good place afterwards so and and there's a place where where goodness champions the evil he said sit sit down you can't go then another one stepped up and said i'll go he came from an even darker place in hell and he said send me and he said what are you going to say to these men and women to destroy their soul he said i'll tell them there's no hell and satan said it won't work he said, there's something inside people called a conscience, and that, that conscience bears witness to them when there is evil and that evil needs to be dealt with. He said, it won't work. And finally, from a darkest, most foulest place in hell, a demon stepped up and said, I'll go. And Satan said, what are you going to tell these people that will destroy their soul? And he said, I'll just simply tell them there's no hurry. There's no hurry. Take your time. You can eventually get it right with God. The reason Paul is stirring them up isn't because they didn't know. They did know. But because he wanted to remind them, right now matters. Vigilance right now. And that leads to the fourth thing that I want you to see, and that is it will require, the return of Christ will require uh, sober vigilance. So let us not sleep, he says in verse 6. In verse 8, keep awake and be sober. This is a call to both anticipation that results in preparation. Because I've been stirred up. Now, look, go back, look, uh, look there in verse 2. He says, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. This, he wasn't writing this to them because they had no idea. It wasn't like they said, oh, wow, that's news to us. He said, you know fully that Jesus Christ is going to return. If I were to do a survey in this building today and ask this question, how many of you believe that Jesus Christ is going to return one day? I suspect it would be about 99% accurate. Because even people that don't know Christ all have the at least understanding pretty much in America that, yeah, that Christianity says Jesus is going to return. Someday he's going to come back. Well, that's what Paul is saying to these believers in Thessalonica. He said, I don't have to really say, did you know Jesus is going to return? Because they all knew full well that Jesus was going to return. They understood that. What Paul is saying to them is, because that, have you forgotten what that ought to produce in your life? 
What should it do to you because you believe that Jesus Christ is going to return? And because of the indicators out there, what should it do in your life? How should it change your life? How should it affect the way you live? And by the way, we don't have to live in fear. Some years ago, there was a a show on the Weather Channel. See, when you get older, you start watching the Weather Channel a lot. And there was this show on the Weather uh, Weather Channel. It was called, It Could Happen Today. Is anybody else in here old enough to say, I saw that? It wasn't too long ago. Yeah, look, it's all my age group. It could happen today. It was really a very good story. But And it would show like a city that was hit by a catastrophic storm. And if if this kind of storm hit this city, here would be the results of that. So that's what they'd kind kind of do with that show. And then somewhere in the program, they would always make this statement. Listen, it may not have happened yet, but it's only a matter of time until it does. That's what our passage, that's what Paul is saying. That's what Jesus said. That's what the Bible and the scriptures uh, point us to. And that's why, like Paul, like Jesus, we are told to be sober-minded, sober and vigilant. We are to stay alert and awake. Listen to just a few, just a few uh, 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 passages that tell us to do that. Matthew 24, 42, therefore Jesus says, stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. Mark 13, 33, be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. Luke 12, 35, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Luke 12, 37, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Revelation 16, 15, behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake. Matthew 24, 44, therefore you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Matthew 25, 13, watch therefore for you uh, uh, know neither the day nor the hour. The Bible says, wake up to the facts. So Paul is not writing to say, I'm I'm introducing a new thought to you. He's saying, you already know it. And did you notice he said, you know it full well. The question is, what kind of impact is the truth of the return of Christ making in the way you live your life? We need to be reminded and stirred up. That's what part of this series is about, is to remind us to live, by the way, like we're going to be here for a hundred years, but at the same time live like Jesus is coming today. And, and see, that's the way we ought to live for a hundred years if he doesn't come, right? We should live with that kind of, of vigilance and sober-mindedness. But here's the last thing I want you to see this morning, and that is because Jesus is going to return, it reminds us to secure our future. Verses 9 through really 11 are the ultimate victory statement for the believer. He says that we might live with him, that is God, uh, Christ. And he says this, whether we are alive or he says asleep, that means uh, we've died physically. He says our eternity is secure either way. If we're alive until he returns or if we die before he returns, he said those of us who know him, our future is secure. That's why it's so important. Those of you who are joining us by live stream here in this building, that's why it's so important that you know, that you know, that you know that everything is right between you and the Lord Jesus, that you have received him as your Savior. 
And he says this, look at verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you were doing. You know what he's saying about these things? Look, don't go out here and say, oh no, Jesus is going to return. Go out here and say, Jesus is going to return. We encourage each other with that. All the junk that goes on in our world, listen, you know what the devil wants you to believe? He wants you to believe that the best that you can have in this life is the best you can ever have, ever. That's a lie from hell. And it causes us to think, my life has to be fulfilled right here in this life. Well, God wants to fulfill your life through his purposes for your life, but he also wants you to know something. He has something better for us. The Chronicles uh, of Fate that we've just gone through in that series talked about that several times, that they kept their eyes on something eternal because they knew that it was better. Do you know what the early church, let's see, I've told you that over 19 years now, I've told you this. Let's see, do you, do you remember, what did the early church refer to uh, the return of Christ as? you remember, anybody? Bail me out, staff. The blessed hope. The blessed hope. Now, why is the return of Christ the blessed hope? Because God has something better for us, and it takes us out of this world. I want to tell you, the best day you have in this world doesn't compare on any level to what awaits you in the kingdom of God. The very best day. If you're healthy, wealthy, wise, all of those things are all working for you. I want to tell you something. The best day does not compare to what awaits us in eternity. But see, we get it all messed up, and we start worrying about, God, I gotta, this, this, is, this is all there really is that makes a difference. And besides, God, I want to go to heaven when I die, I, but I'm just not real hip on sitting on a cloud with a harp and a halo and floating for eternity. Because we've misunderstood what awaits us. In, in the book of Corinthians, Paul, the apostle, he says this, he says, I know a man who was taken up to the third heaven. Do you know what he's talking about? He's talking about himself. And he saw, he said, he saw, and, and I don't have time to explain the third heaven thing uh, to you, so uh, go read a book. Uh, but he says this, he says, and he saw things too glorious to articulate or explain. He said, what he saw, he said, I saw things. And in fact, there are a lot of uh, Bible scholars who believe, you, you've heard about the thorn in the flesh, that Paul had thorn in the flesh. There are a lot of Bible scholars who believe, he said, it was given to me, a messenger from Satan to buffet me so I wouldn't get too proud. And a lot of scholars believe that the reason God allowed the enemy to, to attack him with this thorn was to keep him humble because he had seen things that nobody else had seen. And I really believe you say, so why doesn't God, if it's the blessed hope, and, and why doesn't God make it all real clear to us? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked it. Let me answer it. Number one, he doesn't make it all clear to us because he's not finished with us. When God is finished with you, you're going home. Okay? So he's not finished with you. And you say, okay, so what does that have to do? Number two, if God showed you what awaited you, you wouldn't finish what you, he's put you here to do because you'd be trying to find a way to get out of here and get there. Does that make sense? So he gives us a glimpse because <laughs> he doesn't, see, if we saw what Paul, and Paul even said, he wrote in Philippians, he said, you know, I'm in, I'm in between a spiritual rock and a hard place. He said, if it were up to me, I'd rather go on. But he said, for your sake, I am to remain. God wants me to stay here. But he said, if you're up to me, I'm ready to get out of here and get in. He had already said, he got a glimpse, you know. And, and so he said, if it's up to me, you know, and Paul could have 
probably got there because he was beaten. Maybe on one of those times he'd seen, you know, all this stuff, and he was beaten a couple of times within an inch of his life, the Bible says. He might have just said, I know what awaits me. Uh, don't hit me harder. How about a couple more whacks? I think I'm almost gone. He knew what awaited him. That's why God doesn't tell us. But he wants us to understand that our future is secure and there's this blessed hope that it comes with the return of Christ. And so he says, encourage one another with that. Don't be discouraged. Don't walk out saying, Jesus is coming back. I want to be ready. I want to go, but Jesus is coming back. Look, go out and say, Jesus is coming back. He's our hope. And what awaits us is so much better than the best we've ever experienced in this life. He controls the future. By the way, the kingdoms of this world right now are in chaos, aren't they? They're in flux. They're, they are not the kingdom of God. It is a kingdom, the Bible says, it can't be shaken. But did you know in the last days, the Bible says, everything that can be will be shaken so that only the kingdom of God will remain. But so don't, don't ever worry, say, God is, he's, he's in too deep on this one. <laughs> I want to tell you something. The kingdom of God hasn't been shaken, and God is not wringing his hands in heaven saying, what am I going to do? This COVID thing, man, did that take you guys by surprise? Took me by surprise. God's not saying that. He's saying, I'm, I'm warning you. I'm getting your attention, but there's something better, and we, can, and we can be encouraged by that. So we don't have to live in fear. But now let me say this to those of you who are watching us live streaming on television and those of you sitting in this place, if you don't know Christ, you ought to be terrified of what's coming. If you don't know Christ, you ought to be terrified. Did you notice this? He said something here, but he is not destined to us for wrath. He's talking about those who belong in the body of Christ. He isn't destined to us for wrath. But his wrath is coming. I don't have time to talk about that maybe in another message in this series. So what is the fact that he's going to return? Has it is your future been secured knowing that? Dr. R.A. Torrey, the, he was the second president of Moody Bible Institute. He had this great line. He said, the return of Jesus transformed my whole idea of life. It broke the power of the world and the world's ambition over me, and it filled my life with the most radiant optimism, even under the most discouraging circumstances. That's what should happen for us as believers. Now, I want to close, and I want to close with something. I want to close by giving you, and very quickly, just don't try to write it. Well, you can try if you want to, but you'll miss them all. I'm going to give you some things. How should we, what, what should we do? What should the, the fact that we know Christ is going to return, what should it, how should it affect us? I want to give you uh, several things real quickly. Again, you just might need to go back and watch this uh, on uh, a, a live stream repost or, or a video on demand on our website or whatever. But let me give you how, how should, uh, what should happen to us because we believe this. What, what should it do? Number one, it calls you to deal with sin in your life. Listen, if you've got sin that you're just putting up with, you're playing around with, it's time to repent and go forward with God. Number two, guard your mind be careful about what you're reading and listening to and, and watching. Uh, by the way, uh, sometimes you ought to just turn your television set off. And, and be careful. You know what we're doing? A lot of times we're listening to all the stuff that they're telling us out there, and we're listening to that more than we're listening to the, what God says. Saturate your mind with the Word of God. And by the way, you'll find peace there. When you watch what some of the, so the report, I mean, 
it'll tear you up inside. It'll keep you in knots and turmoil. This is where you'll find peace in the power of the Spirit in you and His Word spoken to you. And, and, and um, so and I would just say, turn. there's some things you need to probably just quit watching, listen to. Alice and I, we've been, everybody's been binge watching, okay? Right? We had a series we, were, we started watching. We watched a few episodes of it. And I have to tell you, the plot line is very, very intriguing. Don't ask me what it is. I'm not going to tell you because I don't want you to go watch it because we're not watching it anymore. We watched just a few episodes. And I have to tell you, the, the, the plot line was very, very intriguing. But the morality was so bad that finally we just said to each other, I, I, we, we can't watch this. The, the, I love the plot line, but the morality associated with everything else in the, in the series was so perverse. And both of us said, we can't watch this. We watched a few episodes. We, got, we don't know what happens, uh, and uh, we probably never will. But listen, there's some things you just need to, get, you need to stop watching and stop listening to. So guard your mind. Number three, focus your devotional life. It's time to get serious about knowing God. It's time to get serious about pursuing Him. Number four, intensify your mission. I told you God put you here on purpose. Get with it. Whatever that purpose is, you're still here because God has purpose in your life. And it may be just to impact people around you, just a handful. Maybe it's your family. It may be broader than that. Let God define that. You just say, God, here I am. We must work while it is still day. The night comes when no man works, the Scripture says. Intensify your mission. Get with it. Number five, adjust your priorities and values. The kingdom of God must take precedence over everything. Everything. Adjust your priorities and values. Number six, be faithful. Be a faithful steward of God. That means with your money and your time, all of these sorts of things. By the way, it's summertime. Put something in the offering basket. Make sure you're tithing. I mean, here's what, be good and faithful stewards so that one day when we enter into the presence of God, we will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And then last, live for eternity, one day at a time. You don't know when he's going to return, so just live for him one day at a time. Give him your best. By the way, quit trying to live for God six months from now. A lot of Christians feel like failures because they're trying to live for God six months down the road. Listen, Jesus said today, he said, today's got enough trouble of its own. You seek me and the kingdom of God, everything else will be taken care of for you. But he, the implication is do it now, do it today. And then get up tomorrow and start all over. Those things, go back and listen to those so you can digest them a little bit better. Just a couple of, Billy Graham died a year or so ago and and before he died, he made a statement, a very interesting statement. He said, there's a great deal to say in the Bible about the signs that we're to watch for for the coming of Christ. And when these signs all converge at one place, we can be sure that we're close to the end of the age. And those signs, he said, in my judgment, are converging now. For the first time, he said, since Jesus made the predictions, they're converging. And then he went on to say, that his, his great burden before he dies, he is dead now, he said, but is to sound the alarm for humanity to repent, turn from their sins, just as Noah did in ancient days. He said, God keeps his promises, and this is why we can be sure the return of Christ is near. Scripture tells us that there will be signs pointing to the return of the Lord, and then he ends by saying, I believe all of these signs are evident today. So do I. How about you?
Do you believe it? If so, are you ready? If you believe it, are you prepared? And if not, why not? So I ask you, do you know him? Are you sure? Why live with doubt and risk your eternal soul when Jesus has said, come to me and I'll give you rest? Have you ever received a piece of mail that's stamped outside on the envelope? It says, time-sensitive information enclosed. Have you ever received one of those? You know? And when you see it, even if it's on junk mail, I mean, you think, hey, maybe I really did win the Publishing Clearinghouse prize, you know? But when you see that, something happens, you know? Sometimes you've received mail that was very legitimate. You didn't need to throw it in the junk pile. Time-sensitive information. There's something you've got to sign and send back or something like that. And a lot of times it's just junk. I want to tell you, what I'm talking to you about today is not junk. Don't throw it in the junk pile. This is time-sensitive information. And what you do with it will make all the difference for your eternal soul. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? No one's looking about in this place. If you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, or if you're not sure if you died that you'd go to heaven, I want to give you that opportunity right now. I've been talking about getting ready and being ready. This is how you get ready. And those of you who are joining us by live stream or right here live in this audience, you say, I want to be sure. I want to know that I know that I know. I want to be ready. I'm not sure I am. I've doubted. I've struggled with my uh, faith or my relationship with Christ, and I want to settle that issue. I don't want to struggle with it anymore. Here's what you do right now. Where you are, you say, Lord Jesus, I invite you to come into my life, forgive me of my sins, and be my Savior. I know you died for me, and I know I'm a sinner, and I know I need you, and I know the only way, the only path out of this world for eternity is with you. And I receive you. I invite you to be my Savior, my Master, my Lord, to change my life. I invite you to come in. Now, you may have never prayed a prayer like that with heads bowed and eyes closed. I, that's a good thing today if you just pray. Jesus said, whosoever shall call upon, uh, or Paul said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 1. But some of you may be in this place, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Some of you are in this place. You say, you know what, I think I did that. I'm just not sure. So I, I, I think I, but I'm not sure I, I understood or what I was doing, but I need to be sure. I want to be sure. And I've doubted and doubted, and the devil's beat on me and beat on me. How can I get, deal with that? Here's what you do. I want you to pray a prayer, and this is the prayer I want you to pray. From your heart to the Lord Jesus, you say, Lord Jesus, I think I did this. I think I trusted you. I, I, I'm not sure, though, God, and I doubt and I struggle with that. And so, Jesus, if I never trusted you as my Savior today, right now, I'm tired of doubting. I'm tired of living with that. Right now, I invite you to come into my life. If I never did this before, if I never understood it, if I never genuinely meant it, right now, I mean it. Would you come into my heart? Would you be my Lord and Savior and Master? I know you love me, and I want you to be my Savior. I don't want to doubt anymore. I don't want to battle with that anymore. And so I ask you to settle that issue by becoming my Savior today. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, those who are watching, those who are in this audience, I pray, Father, that those who prayed that prayer today, you'll help them to have courage to recognize a new starting point that you've given them, the transformation that you want to begin in their life. 
And Father, I pray that they'll sense and understand what you've done and what they've done by letting and allowing you to do what you've wanted to do all along, and that is be their Savior, remove the doubt, prepare them for whenever it is, a day, a week, a month, a year, 10 years, 50 years from to be ready for that return. In Jesus' name, amen.